Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello. Albeit that um, this is a podcast that likes to surprise, there is no shock in that, as you expected, this is the big interview, and yes, I am Graham. Before the Champions League final in Madrid, I recorded two, I'd like to say, special conversations with fellow head and chin scratchers from the world of football. First up, Jonathan Northcroft, chief football writer for the Sunday Times and future Prime Minister. Johnny, deservedly, has spent a huge amount of time reporting the extraordinary progress of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. They're personal friends. Johnny's been at the big games, he went to Egypt for a brilliant profile of Mo Salah, and he spent time with the elusive big brains behind the brilliant recruitment and analytics at Anfield and Melwood. For that reason, ladies and gentlemen, I give you J. Northcroft, Esquire. Fellow dandy. So as promised, um, we've got one of the superstars um, of the Champions League final who won't be on the pitch but will be in the stand. I use that word advisedly because he's very good at his job. Johnny, are you um, pleased or not that your beat takes you to cover Liverpool a little bit, maybe more than Spurs? And once Liverpool had qualified, are you, from a purely football point of view rather than the professional point of view, pleased or otherwise that it's an, an all-England match in uh, the Metropolitano on Saturday night compared to, say, what it might have been, which was Liverpool-Ajax? Or or what, what are your feelings about how the Liverpool's rivals emerged from the second semi-final? Yeah, so it's a funny one because I, I remember speaking to Jamie Carragher at half-time in, in Amsterdam at that second leg of the the Ajax Spurs game, and we were talking about this kind of romance that there would be in a in, a, in an Ajax Liverpool final. It is a fixture that's kind of redolent of Cruyff in those days, and um, it's got that sort of cachet of, of of two kind of opposite great European powers against each other. And sort of, I mean, Jamie was sort of agreeing that it would be a slight anticlimax if it was. Yeah. Spurs Liverpool, but you've drawn me to you've drawn me you look- to a, a third Aberdonian in this in this conversation. Given that in yeah. that Cruyff tie um, in the sixties, it was the Aberdonian Ron Yates who said, "Yeah, well, we'll beat them four 0 or six 0 or whatever in the return leg, wasn't it? It was Big Ron, the Colossus, yes. and it, yes. it was Shankly who pronounced them Ajax, wasn't it? Ajax, and and that was the game they played in the fog. The fog it? match, they call it that. in Holland. That's ju- that's what it's referred to, the fog match. The fog match, the birth of that real great Cruyff team in, in many ways. Or definitely, it's definitely, up. certainly for the for the European consciousness. Yeah, exactly, and um, 
and yeah, it, you you, you kind of look at that and 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 some of the the contrast we could have had in the pitch and thought that would be an amazing final, but the way that Spurs then came through the the second half, the the, the you know the, the kind of um, I, I suppose the magic of it really, the, the the unlikeliness of it, the the tears of Pochettino, the tears of Lucas Moura, the the unlikely part played by. Lorente, who I still maintain had a bit of a shocker in, in that second half, and yet was the most effective player on the pitch. Um, I, who could begrudge Spurs being in the final? And actually, I do think the final's got lots of magic about it because of the 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 the, the way Spurs have got there, and the, and I think what Spurs are going to take into the final. Um, you know, they are playing the biggest game of their their club's lives, and they have absolutely nothing to lose, and. I think they worry Liverpool, and that's a dynamic actually that's going to make for possibly even even a better final than Ajax would have been. Because I think I think Liverpool would have gone in and quite professionally been able to pick Ajax apart, and I don't think there's the same guarantees um, at all. I think there are no guarantees about facing Tottenham. So I really like the final. The closer we get to it, the more I like it. The other thing is, of course, that that everything that you think that Liverpool have got in their favour, all the the qualities that Liverpool have got. Spurs are a bit of a mirror image, really, and that's the other fascinating dynamic. It's you know, Ajax v Liverpool would have been um, two different teams with 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 as I say, elements that that Liverpool could have picked apart. Whereas if Liverpool are looking to pick apart Spurs, it's it's like trying to pick apart a version of themselves. It's it's a really interesting dynamic. You know, they're not going to beat Spurs for energy. They're not going to beat Spurs for never say die commitment and all that sort of stuff. They can they can play pretty similar formations if that's how Pochettino wants to set up um, of course there are different players on the pitch but there's so there's so many similarities between the team that that you know it it, it, it just creates a almost a well a dynamic that, that that takes me back maybe to 2008 I suppose with with how well matched United and and Chelsea were and that was one of the best games I've seen in my life even though it was only two goals in it so hoping for something similar you commentated that Liverpool probably couldn't outdo Spurs for energy, and I suspect they will. It's not Anfield. It's the Metropolitano. It's in it's in the heat of summer. But this side regularly produces things that are a bit rare to see in European football now. We live in an era of such strategy, such coaching finesse. Teams have an ability to say, well, we, we've got this far and we're going to take what we want from the match. Now... Um, Granite, you live in an era of Manchester City under Guardiola over there, which is quite different. But Liverpool under Klopp are one of these teams that can blow nearly anybody off their seat. We saw it memorably last season a couple of times against City this year against Barcelona. That would be my main thought on Saturday. So I guess I'm asking the expert compared to me, do you recognise what I'm talking about? Um, the construction on skill and personality and good coaching. But Liverpool are currently a bit special. They can, with their spirit and their motivation, they can play like a typhoon. Yeah, I think that's a very good word to use. There's a level of intensity. There's a whirlwind element to what they do. Um, and I suppose you've got me thinking that they're, the way they use energy is probably different to Spurs. Because actually, if you look at the running stats in, in, in the Champions League, um, I think Spurs are maybe the, the Spurs and Ajax were the only two teams above Liverpool, if I'm right, across the competition. Um, but 
if we were able to break it down into sprints, then you'd expect Liverpool to probably be on top. And that's that's probably the difference that Liverpool can play in these incredible surges and and that overwhelm you physically and mentally, and that's obviously what they were able to do to Barcelona. Um but what the danger that Spurs will always present to you is that they'll just keep going. They're like they're like a kind of marathon runner. They will just keep going. Um and they will not be found wanting, I don't think, in towards the end of a game in the way that Barcelona were. If we're using that as a template, that, that Liverpool kind of broke them physically and mentally in the first half and then did the most damage in the second. But I don't think you can guarantee doing that to Spurs. I think you could see Liverpool starting the game really well. Um, getting a goal, being right on top. Um, but that wouldn't be a guarantee to me that they, they're going to go on and win the game because there's something different about the Spurs team which is founded on on that what that which we saw against Ajax in that second half. As a writer and a storyteller, Johnny, how much are you enjoying getting to know Klopp? By which I mean either individually, one-on-one, watching his teams, listening to his press conferences, the full gamut. He's a fascinating guy because um, I, I interviewed Trent Alexander-Arnold about a month ago and he used he actually used the word um, introvert. You know, he, he said Klopp's a bit like me. He said he's actually quite introverted and... Now I'm genuinely taken aback. No, he said he's quite, he said he's quite quiet, he's quite shy, but then what he did say was that he said when he wants to, when he needs to turn it on, then it's full charisma. And he dominates a room, but in general, if you were to see him around the training ground, you'd actually see a fairly kind of quiet, understated bloke, and and that fascinates me. I think there's a lot of layers to Klopp. There's a lot of layers to his belief system. You know, he's he, he's he's got kind of I suppose German social democrat principles. There's a layer of religion to to the way he sees the world, but he's this person who's obviously a traveller as well and gets influenced by by where he lives and who he comes into contact with. There's the fact he had this very close working relationship with, with Buvach for, for 15 years, but then um, that's that, that's been replaced by a very energising relationship with a younger assistant manager in, in Pep Linders. And there's the relatability that he's he's got with with players of you know nearly a third of his age, like, um, like Alexander-Arnold, belief in young people, but then the, the kind of bonds he has with all the guys there's so much to him as a manager and I think when you look at the great managers they, they have all these sort of corners to them as as, as people because it's such a all-encompassing job to 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 motivate and, and look after such a diverse huge range of people that I suppose you have to to have them so um the thing about Claude, it's a good point you raised about you know getting to know him I think the best thing I could say is that no matter how much, t- how, no matter how much you listen to him, um, or spend around Melwood, you still feel you there's more to get to know, and that's a great thing. I've never turned up to a, a clock press conference or seeing him with any sort of resignation or boredom. You know, it's, it, you look forward to it because there's always something interesting that's going to come out of him. And you know, Ferg, Fergie was like that, of course. Um, you know, I'm not going to compare them in any other ways, but 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 you know, that, but more- I think that. Fergie appeared to me to be much more planned, strategic, Machiavellian than yeah. Klopp does. I'm not saying that um, Klopp is all off the cuff by any means. And he is a bright man. So while the impact of being around these two men might be similar, I think they come from different places in their public persona. 
Yeah, no, Klopp, Klopp freestyles it. It's a knowing thing. He, he knows he's good at it, you know. So he, 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 it's sort of jazz when he speaks. He knows it, and, and, and it's got this... He also communicates a lot physically with his smile and his sort of big gangly kind of body rather than, you know, for, for, Fergie was someone that held himself very still and tight and, as you say, knew exactly the messages he wanted to get out there. But I think what they both share is having very fertile minds that, they surprise you. You know, Klopp surprises you in the analogies he comes out with in, in the way that Fergie did. Fergie could suddenly start talking about the Manchester Ship Canal out of out of absolutely nothing. You know, Klopp, Klopp, will, Klopp will suddenly, you know, bring up a brilliant analogy about Michael Stick and Boris Becker and, and so on. So it, 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 that's a joy to report on. But Johnny, do you accept because both of us know that the players under Ferguson would say that that's what he'd do to them at quarter to three on a match day too. That the team talk, or at least the last words before the match, would always finish on, go out and enjoy yourselves. But that every single one of those players under Fergie would say that the most unpredictable, um, colourful anecdote could come out of Fergie's mouth, and almost always did. But you're talking about the same talent that Klopp has, so you're in a position... I think of hearing something very similar to what the players are being told in this case. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if we, I, I guess to make there is a difference as well with Fergie also had that unpredictability of mood, so the players also were conscious it could just be an explosion at any point. There seldom was, but that was always there. Was I think Klopp's more constant in his in his kind of upbeat mood as it were and he has the other side to him but it's it's not as unpredictable it's not it's not as volcanic as as Fergie is what I'm saying but I think he if you think about him in the morning of that Barcelona game where he had them in Hope Street Hotel and you know that 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 is that's where a manager earns a corn you know a manager of what nearly 20 years now he's given a million team talks and he's got to find the right one because you're playing Barcelona and you need to win 4-0 and he says to them, you know, I would say this is impossible, but because it's you guys, you've got a chance. And that sends a, a shiver through the player's spine. And it's the perfect message at the perfect time. And it's in their minds 12 hours later when they play the game or whenever. And that, that, that's, that's managerial genius. transformation player for me and it doesn't have to be one that joined last summer and transformed the team I'm all the same I'm thinking about Alisson, Van Dijk uh, Fabinho Keita's probably not going to make it so let's leave him out don't think so but Alexander Arnold compared to Gomez where would you go not just talking about Saturday night but the, the guy who struck you over the last 10 or 11 months what a brilliant question. I mean, the, the, the person that actually jumps into my mind is, is probably Jordan Henderson, funnily enough, because he's, he's just had this remarkable... Um, he was a guy we thought was going to fall by the wayside, um, and a lot of fans wanted to fall by the wayside, if they're honest. And it, it's a way that he's gone from starting the season as a number six, as a kind of good old Jordan, he'll do a job there, it's fine but, you know, we've got Fabinho and Fabinho's going to get trained up and then, you know, Jordan can kind of join James Milner as one of the the kind of utility senior players, good to have around, blah 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 
and it's it's the way that he's found it within himself to um accept Fabinho's come in, accept Fabinho is is can do things at six that he just can't do. But go to Klopp and say, right, I wanna I wanna I wanna play number eight again then. You know, that's what I did when I was a kid and I can do it even better now. And then play number eight the way he's done in the last few months. Um looking like that player that he was in maybe twenty fourteen, but with the extra level of maturity and leadership and, and game awareness. That's that's fantastic. That's 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 someone if you talk about transformational, you know, when you're seeing it in an older player it's it's really unexpected. I could, I, could, I could talk about Mane and how he's he's become much more of a of a fundamental player. Um, I could talk about Matip how he quietly has come in in the last sort of three four months and and finally become that important key player and and start to do the things he did when he was a talented youngster in Germany in terms of bringing the ball out from the back. But one f- transformational player, you know, an evolving player. I think I think of Jordan Henderson at the age of 29 I'm or whatever. Genuinely impressed. People are going to think we rehearsed, but we didn't. But that's who I would have gone to. Again, I um, like how Henderson speaks, what he stands for, his, his level of effort. But if I look at the way he used the ball last summer in the World Cup when you were playing yeah. darts with Delhi, the way mm. in which the thing that Southgate asked him to do probably put a magnifying glass on parts of his game that needed work, I think, to yeah. now. Absolutely. When I assess his wit, pitch wit, his distribution of the ball, he's now not only much more accurate, but much more penetrating. There's a huge difference in him um, making, taking goals. My words, not yours. I understand now why he flew into a bit of a fury on finding out just before a Camp Nou game that he wasn't playing. Now, when he came on, I thought he was genuinely extraordinary. That night, I reassessed him and I could barely believe it. Gently, we're going to draw to a close now, uh, Johnny, because for a writer like you in the build-up to the Champions League, finally, you must be turning about 16 different ways every hour. So, I'm going to pick on something that now I do know we share respect for. I think that Liverpool's development... Um, to where they are now, not just Champions League finals, but how they play, um, how they're constructed. I say now that I think that Liverpool will win and win by a two-goal margin on Saturday night. But this construction isn't simply to do with the guys you see on the pitch or Klopp. I believe they have an elite recruitment department and that's based upon who they sign, how they replace guys that go, how they fulfil the manager's requests because even Klopp won't regularly be allowed to say, I want that guy specifically. He'll say, this is the profile of the guy, this is the age of the guy, these are his talents. Um, And they get that for him. And when the club loses significantly important players who shouldn't be easily replaced, the job they do is extraordinary. So from my opinion... We're looking at one of the elite recruitment and sales departments in European football. I know the owners feel that. To what degree have I uh, captured your feelings and what do you know that adds to my appreciation of that? Yeah, I, 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 I do totally agree that they're, they're the leaders at the moment, in, certainly in English football. And there's some good, you know, some teams, there's some clubs with very, very good departments. But I think what Liverpool's guys have done um is a, a completely uh all encompassing job really from a starting point and maybe 
2012. When I say all encompassing, what I mean is that, that, that I think you could you could sense for certainly now Stevie Gerrard's gone, so that kind of gift that Liverpool had from the past is gone. Um, the whole thing has been the post Gerrard Liverpool has been constructed by that department, and that includes Jurgen Klopp, who wasn't the first piece of the jigsaw. That's one of the impressive things about it that you know Klopp was brought in maybe a third of the way through the process. Partly to fit with the the vision that the club had for how it wanted to be on the pitch, um, because that passionate Liverpool that we're talking about is actually part of a, a bigger vision of what the club should embody. Um, so he was the ideal manager for that, and also the ideal manager for the profile of players that they they felt they they had and were going to have. So so you know there's an integrated nature to that that that, that Klopp is only part of, um, and you, you you can look at early bargains. You know, like um, like your Jordan Hendersons, who came in when Damon Kimoli was 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 director of football, but but Michael Edwards, who who is now the sporting director, was was a key part of that. That was that was that was early on in the in the process. Um, you could tell a story about all of the players that, that have come through the department of Edwards, with Barry Hunter and Dave Fallows as a, and Ian Graham as probably the other sort of key guys in that department. Um, and the things they do creatively and differently with with transfers for example um you look at that back four and uh, you talk about Virgil van Dijk 75 million pounds most expensive defender in the world then you look closely close and you realize that the whole back four only cost 85 million because it's it's got Andy Robertson plus Joe Matip and Trent Alexander-Arnold who who were free so they haven't got it's it's funny some clubs have got this kind of idea of fees that um, I think Manchester United might do that. You know, we're we're an elite club, therefore our signings have to be in the thirty million pound plus bracket, but we're not going to f- spend more than X because that's our limit. Whereas Liverpool have just taken a completely different approach. If someone's, you know, it, it's based on who's available and scarcity. But someone's worth seventy five million pounds, we'll think outside the box. We'll do it. We'll we'll, we'll pay it. But if someone's brilliant and he's an eight eight million pound. Scottish fullback who used to play for Queen's Park will do that one as well. And there's an open-mindedness about it that, that, that you don't see in other departments. The way they've sold has been incredible. You know, I mean, someone at Liverpool said to me the biggest, the best deal they've ever done was Kevin Stewart to, to Hull City for, um, basically as a swap for Andy Robertson. You know, Ke- Kevin Stewart was a serviceable, he was a game player, but but you know, my goodness, not nearly the right quality. But somehow they managed to sell him for the same price they got Robertson for. There's 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 so many corners to it. Then you talk about the analytics under Ian Graham, which I think that the cutting edge, and all, a lot of clubs are trying to do that now. But they've probably got a jump on everyone else. Things like um, when they scout a player, they don't just scout in 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 you know one or two game bursts. They take the quite wise decision that you're going to need to properly analyse someone, you probably need to see them in 15 to 20 games, so they'll send someone in a 15 to 20 game period to, to see how a player's consistency and character really does unfold in a season you know, they, they, and I mentioned Klopp, they even scout managers, you know, they, they, they will have a list of who might replace Klopp and when I say scout them, they will have done things like, got videos of training sessions, they they, they when German teams go in their camps to Spain in, the, in in January. Liverpool send scouts to watch German coaches coaching their teams by the side of the pitch. 
So it, it, I think they're ahead of the game. I think, I think you're right to identify this as a key part of the success. I agree with you. That's very well phrased. I've also learned something, as usual. We've, as usual, tried to make this a slightly alternative build-up to the final. I hope that people aren't listening to the same things that they're going to be seeing and reading and hearing everywhere. But um, now I must do what everybody tries to do to a writer, which is pin you down. So just as an adios, as briefly or as articulate as you like, build me a case why Liverpool won't win this, because I'm telling you now that they will. Well, look, I, my starting point is I agree with you. that That's where my money would be going. But as I've said earlier, I think there is enough uncertainty in it to make it a really tantalising final. Where would the uncertainty about Liverpool come? Spurs, I'm about to speak to the director of Take the Ball, Pass the Ball, Duncan McMath, who's very firmly a part of the Cockrell Chorus. But where I fail to see, um, and maybe what I'm trying to dig at here ineptly, is that I don't think it's massively in Liverpool's favour that there's been a long hiatus after the end of the season. It's bringing the team to a boil when you've been at full momentum and then probably Klopp will punch me in the face, but when you've had maybe too much rest, I think that might be to Tottenham's advantage because I thought they were on their knees at the end of the season. Fine-tuning Liverpool with a gap like this, whether they do it in Marbella or Melwood or in Madrid now, however they handle those segments, I think it's a pretty hard job and that's one of the only reasons I could possibly see why the gap between the two teams and the team that I think is favourite wouldn't go in there and do their work. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do get all that. Although I think that because Liverpool have got the experience of, of how to build up from last season, then I'm not, I'm not too... And also, you know, you've got to remember that Spurs tend to start seasons very slowly under Poch. So there's actually an issue for, for him when, when, when he comes back after a rest. So I'm, I'm not sure that... I see what you're saying, but I, it's not something that I'm thinking is necessarily going to benefit one team or the other. I've got questions about both teams, but you know, I think I'm thinking more that if Liverpool have won a lot of games by fine margins this this season, um, they've adopted this much more pragmatic approach of of establishing control, remaining patient, and if they have to win it by a goal, winning by a goal. And I just... My, my my doubt for them would be if they attempt to do that against Spurs, as I say, they get one nil up, um, and and try and control the game and close it out. They're against a team that in any moment, and Joe Matip said this to me last week, so it's not my words, but it's it's his really. In any moment, can come back at you, even when they look dead and buried, and that that's partly because of what what, what Poch gives to the players. It's Partly because the characteristics of the the players as well, they've got a couple of inspirational guys there. You know, a Son, a Lucas Moura, Deli Ali's a player who just plays in moments. You can do nothing and then suddenly flick the ball through to to create a chance. You know, Eriksson we know can do that. Um, they're relentless physically and they will keep going. Um, they've got a set piece threat which which obviously can get you a goal out of nothing. So that that that's my liverpool lose scenario that 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 they're one nil up and and spurs score in the second half you've dealt with a difficult question very adeptly well done and i didn't mean to cheat but i can't let you off the line by again making one difficult demand of you 
we know that Allison's in goal. I guess the back four is not Gomez. This time it is Alexander-Arnold, Matip van Dijk, the brilliant Andy Robertson up front. So long as there's no contretemps with injuries, it's the three musketeers. How the f*** do you pick the midfield, Johnny? I know. that's. I, I think there's going to be a really horrible conversation that Klopp's going to have to have with yeah. one of his most <laughs> I'm asking you. <laughs> All right. Well, Come on. If you, I, think, I, I think it'll be Fabinho, Henderson and Wijnaldum, and I think Milner's the, the one that's going to, going to miss out. Um, and it'll be hideous. But uh, that, that's certainly what I would go with. And um, I, I think... I think it probably comes down to, a, a, you know, Fabinho's the best six, Hendo's the leader, and it comes down to Wijnaldum or Milner. And I just think that that, that extra goal threat that, that Wijnaldum's got um, will probably carry the day, but it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. It really this is. This one. is why we, we may have a season of the big interview, silver medalist at the recent British Podcast Awards with... Nothing but weekly interviews with Johnny Northcroft. Um, <laughs> per- permission um, being granted, of course. We'll close this by saying uh, en- enjoy Madrid. Um, bring Thank the factor you. 50. Um, yeah. This is a recommendation both to read Martin Gregg's excellent uh, BBC Online uh, analysis of the signing of Andy Robertson and, and how he plays and what his background is. It's a recommendation, if you can do, if you haven't already, to read uh, Darts with Delhi uh, by Johnny, which is very alliterative indeed. And this is uh, GH Podcast, the big interview. Not quite signing off because you've got Duncan McMath on Spurs to come. Uh, final word, uh, given that we've got two dandies on the line, is to a Don's fan um, in Adelaide of all places, who is a devoted listener to the big interview, and that's Scott Wiley. G'day, mate. Shall you be right? Um, Scott, keep listening, keep loving the dandies. Johnny, keep doing what you're doing, baby. (laughs) Thanks, Graham. Pleasure.